How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your sin, daughter Edom. Expose your wickedness. Remember, Remember Lord, what, what has, has happened, happened to us. us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Our homes to foreigners. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Jamie, as uh, Felix mentioned. If you're here for the first time uh, or you're new to HCC, particularly warm welcome uh, to you. And uh, as Felix mentioned, we're at the very end of this series in Lamentations. Uh, the first week, we looked at finding ourselves in the darkness. Then last week, we looked at finding hope in the darkness. And finally today, in Lamentations 4 and 5, uh, we're looking at finding God in the darkness and uh, perhaps you are in the darkness right now, or perhaps uh, you might feel like, actually, I'm not in the darkness right now. Uh, but for each and every one of us, there is darkness all around us. I mentioned before, uh, when it comes to, to poverty and unemployment, uh, here in Lambeth, uh, we're as bad or worse than everywhere else in the UK, in the national average. And at the past year, at points, we've had the worst uh, crime rate for drugs and for weapons of uh, anywhere in London. And then when you think about um, the statistics around church, and you think about, uh, you know, what you often read in the newspaper about just church decline that is taking place. And actually, that average, we're even worse here in South London. 98.3% of people uh, do not go to church. So can Lamentations help Lambeth find God in the darkness? And today uh, we're going to talk about revival. Revival. And what, what are the raw materials that we're working with here? The first thing uh, I want to mention to us this morning is to know your worth. To know your worth. We read uh, in verse 2 of chapter 4. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold. So what, what worth, what value does God place on your life? Jesus Christ is the value, is the worth that God places on your life. That's how much he loves you, that's how much he cares for you. And that's what each and every one of us needs to know. Maya Angelou said that you may not control all the events that happen to you but you can decide not to be reduced by them. And I would add to that, actually, uh, you don't just need sort of uh, suffering to be reduced in who you are. You just, you 
You just need to live in London. You just need to live in London in the 21st century to lose our worth, to lose our sense of self-esteem. Lamentations continues in verse three, but my people have become heartless like ostriches in the desert. What an indictment on ostriches. No idea what's going on there. But what, what, what often happens is uh, that we become a Christian and everything is golden. Actually, everything's in technicolor. You've got this whole kaleidoscope of wonder and joy and amazement. And then just the world finds its way back into us or it gets tough and, and our faith becomes grayscale and uh, we, we have lost gold and lost heart. We read in chapter five, joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. You know, that, that sense of identity and dignity and worth and value that we have as children of God. Woe to us, for, our, for we have sinned because of this our hearts are faint. Because of these things our eyes grow dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. It's because of our sin that our hearts grow faint to God, that our eyes grow dim to the things of God. So the, the darkness is not just around us, but that darkness is actually within us too. And this makes it harder not only for us to know our worth, but also to know God's worth too. You know, I, I, I worry that some of us, we know that we've become heartless towards God. And at the end of this service, we're just gonna leave that door and do nothing about it. You know, we've got just enough God. We've got just enough God to give us a bit of a moral framework for our kids, a bit of community here and there. You know, we don't have enough money, but we've got enough God, thank you very much. Or perhaps, perhaps we do want God, but we want God on our terms not with the purity of the lives that he calls us to, of gold refined in the fire. You know, we're happy for a cheap knockoff version of God, a fake Rolex version of God. And he's not gonna be able to help you in the darkness. And so we end up looking elsewhere. We read in, in Lamentations, moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. We can end up doing this, we can end up looking, looking, looking for help in all the wrong places. You know, a, a church that, that is looking to get its value and its worth from society, from the culture, from, from the state even. And the, 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 the tragedy of a church that doesn't know its intrinsic worth and its intrinsic value to God, doesn't know God's worth. And so we forget, we, we forget that it says here in Lamentations that the Lord reigns forever. His throne endures from generation to generation. But the question comes, does the Lord really reign forever and ever? When we see what's going on around us, when we see in Lamentations that the temple has been destroyed, well, we, 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 we know that God is not dependent on an earthly temple. But God had left already. He, he wasn't even in the building. And I wonder if God left the church, 
would we even notice? William Booth, who is the founder of the Salvation Army and the prototype hipster, he said in 1899, the principal danger of the 20th century will be a religion without the Holy Spirit, Christians without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and a heaven without a hell. Mr. Booth, I think you could have said that about the 21st century and the principal danger for us as a society and the principal danger for us as a church. What's caused this tragedy? What's caused this darkness? We read in chapter four, verse 13, but it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests. And now they grope through the streets as if they were blind. The seers, they, they can't see. They're spiritually blind to God. What does Jesus say about the blind leading the blind? And, and Jeremiah, he, he writes about, about the way that the world looks, the world that looks on. And the world was looking to Jerusalem and the plan was always that the Jerusalem would be the, the place where God would release his blessing to the entire world. I wonder if you've seen uh, the, the, the TV show that's recently come on BBC One called The Gold. The Gold. I've only watched uh, episode number one. And it shows how on the, on the 26th of November, 1983, six men uh, broke into the Brinksmat depot near Heathrow. They expected to find around about a million pounds worth of foreign currency. Instead, they found 26 million pounds worth of gold bullion. And uh, this is the, the largest bank robbery in history. And apparently, that if, if you've bought gold in Britain since 1984, the chances are most likely that your jewellery will contain a traces of the gold that was stolen in this bank robbery. So what's the application here? I'm not telling you to rob a bank. <laughs> but we are supposed to get the gold out there. You know, traces of gold, traces of God everywhere. You know, and, and what we see here in Lamentations is, is the leaders, they're not properly stewarding the gold. And the theologian Kathleen O'Connor, she says that instead of being agents by which the world can be sanctified through repentance and faith, that the failures of prophets and priests contaminate and make profane the entire world. You know, we, we want to see revival. We want to see revival in London. But as it goes with the church, so it goes with the world. And God communicates his heartbreak over and over again. I, I wonder if you were here the first week. Felix spoke, I spoke. Just, just how, how God communicates over and over again through the prophet Jeremiah. His, his agony, his anger, that the leaders, the priests and the prophets, they were not being real about people's sin. They were not calling out their sin. And, and for 40 years, Jeremiah had pleaded with the leaders. He'd, he'd pleaded with them to repent and to call people to repentance. And they ignored him. So there's the leaders. And then there's those uh, who fall away. We read in chapter four that the punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom. The theologian Chris Wright says that the wicked stand universally under the wrath of God, 
against all that is evil. And evil is evil anywhere. Nevertheless, God's judgment is discriminating. And those who sin resist and rebel against the full knowledge and experience of his revelation, love and grace, will be treated according to Jesus with far greater severity than those who've had no such privilege. Jerusalem's sin and Jerusalem's punishment were greater even than Sodom's. And he says that this verse about God's punishment in verse six contains a theological principle that is soberly endorsed in the New Testament for our warning. It's, it, it's, it, it's all too common to hear people say, oh, I don't much like the God of the Old Testament. You know, I prefer the God of the New Testament. But actually, it's the same God. And Jesus reserves his harshest criticism for the same two groups, the teachers and for those who fall away. You know, firstly, for teachers, this is, this is really sobering for me. I, I, I was once um, with a group of clergy and uh, we were doing a, a Bible study, a Bible study that was so in-depth, we were looking line by line at the Greek. And we're looking at this passage in the New Testament and we got to this, this verse where it talks about how those um, who teach will be judged more harshly. And we just carried on. I just went, oh, excuse me, um, uh, I think we just missed something quite important there. I look around the room, there's quite a lot of dog collars here. I'm pretty sure we're all teachers and it says here that God's gonna judge us more harshly. Do you think that's maybe something that's worth us taking a look at? And there was an awkward silence. The person leading the Bible study went, hmm, and we just carried on. <laughs> so, so, so Jesus, he, he, he criticizes the teachers and he also um, criticizes those who fall away, those who knew the gold, They've just thrown it all away. And just like the church in Laodicea, God, God had already left the building. A church that is full of deeds and activity and actions, full of busyness, but it's self-satisfied, it's tepid, it's lukewarm, and it's utterly useless to Jesus Christ. It's become worthless. A church that is, is being shaped by culture, rather than shaping culture. And Jesus, he, he spits this church out of his mouth. So what hope do we have? What hope do we have? We read in chapter four, verse 11, the Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. In the Hebrew, where it says that God had fully used his anger, fully used his wrath. It's actually the same word that is used to describe that the fullness of God's compassion and mercy that we read about in chapter three that we heard about last week. And so while his, his, his wrath comes to an end, his love doesn't go to an end. His love just goes on and on and on because Jesus gets the last word. Lamentations ends with uh, these words. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of, as of old, unless you've utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. It's a tradition in the synagogue 
uh, that when these verses are read is to not end with verse 22, with that final verse there, but actually to go back to verse 21 and to repeat verse 21. Because verse 22 just feels so harsh, too painful. You know, verse 22 sounds like there's no hope. Verse 21 speaks of restoration and renewal. So that's the end, that's the end of chapter five. And then actually at the end of, of chapter four, you get the end of that, that beautifully formed acrostic poem of Lamentations, that, that, that structure. And uh, where you, get, you get the final letter of the A to Z of pain. And we get the, the Hebrew word tam. Tam, which can be translated as it is finished. And the Hebrew scholar Adele Berlin, she says that this is the most helpful note the most helpful word in the entire book of Lamentations. We know that on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. You know, and in the, in the context of suffering, as Christians, we believe in the resurrection and we wanna believe for the miracle, for the, that comeback last minute moment. But we also know that there are illnesses that end in death. We know that there are relationships that end. We know that there are businesses where the shutters go up for the final time. And Jesus is present with us, even in those things. But also on the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about the punishment. And here what we see is that our punishment is finished, that it really is over. It really is the end, and it really is finished. And we read in these chapters about princes being hung up by their hands, just as Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was hung up by his hands. We read about the Lord's anointed being ensnared, just as Jesus, the anointed one, the Holy One, the Messiah, was ensnared, and he was punished for you and for me. I'm from Australia, and um, recently there have been some pretty bad bushfires in Australia. And they say that apparently the best place to be in a bushfire is to be in the place where the fire has already been. I'm not moving from the cross. Not one inch. Not one millimeter. You know, there's, there's no secret knowledge there's no graduating from the cross. It's the only hope that we have for our salvation. And revival is going to come from this place. All the nutrients we need come from this place where the ground is scorched. As we think about finding God in the darkness, William Booth also wrote a book, In Darkest England and the Way Out, and in the introduction to that book, he says, I have no intention to depart in the smallest degree from the main principles on which I have acted in the past. My only hope for the permanent deliverance of mankind from misery, either in this world or the next, is the regeneration of remaking or remaking of the individual by the power of the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ. And he wrote about how all his priorities, all his actions but just to make it as easy as possible, to remove barriers to people finding their way to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Holy Spirit revives us as we come to the cross. And that is the hope that we have. Because of the cross, Jesus gets the last word. We know that the worst thing is never the last thing because Jesus gets the last word. Bishop Jill Duff, uh, she has uh, just published this book called Lighting the Beacons. And thank God for people like Jill Duff, shaking us up as a church. And she writes about uh, finding God in the darkness. And she writes this, the Lion of Judah was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He bore our pain, our suffering, our punishment. And he went with courage to the darkest gates of hell and roared them off their hinges. He is the great beacon lighter. His light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never have the last word. So what words do we say? What words should we say to God? Because Lamentations shows us that we can say anything to God. You know, that's what we see in chapter five. This beautiful acrostic poem structure of chapters one, two, three, and four is over. And then there's just the agony and the ebbing away that goes on in chapter five. And that raw, unfiltered uh, speaking, that articulating, that is absolutely what we can do for God. You know, this is not a time to be polite. This is not a time to be polished. Desperate prayer always comes before revival. And these unfiltered words are exactly the words that you and I need. We see the words restore and renew. Restore and renew. Firstly, restore us. Restore us. You know, at the end of this series in, in, in Lamentations, even more important than lamenting is repenting. And what's the character of the revival that we've been seeing in, in Kentucky at Asbury University? It's, it's young men and women coming forward and repenting before God. The, the Renaissance composer, Thomas Tallis, he wrote The Lamentations of Jeremiah. And just like in, in a synagogue, they, they don't end with that final verse in Lamentations. They, each part goes back to verse 21. Each part, each, each stanza ends with, with Jerusalem, Jerusalem, return to the Lord your God. You know, it's, it's not the, the place that they've lost. It's not the prestige they've lost. It's not the land that they've lost, but it's, it's who they've lost is what's important here. Restore us to God. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. And notice the order. Notice the order. This is, this is grace, that we, we can't earn our way back to God. You know, if you remember back to the first week, while, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And this is grace. So when, when we say, restore us to yourself, and we, we can have confidence that Jesus has put everything in place, that he has done all that he needs to so that we might return to him because of what he's done on the cross. And you and I, we, we get to choose, we get to decide. Will we return to him? Atalus writes, return to the Lord your God. The Lord your God. That means that, that God is to be in control. That bit at the start of Lamentations, chapter four, about us being gold and, and what happens to us. We see there that, that these people are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. 
And, and Jeremiah prophesies elsewhere about God being the potter and we being the clay. And this is saying, saying God, you are my Lord. That, that is saying, you know, I'm not shaping my life. I'm not shaping you, God, into the image of what I think you should be or what I'd like you to be. But it's, it's actually saying, God, I wanna be molded by you, molded into shape, to be that gold that is refined in the fire, to be pure and to be beautiful. And so if we're feeling weak, then weakness is the place to be in because that means that God can mold you and he can, he can shape you. And in not being shaped by the world, not shaping God in our own image, but being shaped by him. And if we're going to shape London, if we're going to change London, then firstly, we need to be shaped and changed by him. So each one of us can say, restore us. Secondly, we see uh, the words, renew our days, renew our days. It might seem like a, like a funny thing to say, but he's the Lord of time, isn't he? And we read here that, that the Lord reigns and his throne endures from generation to generation. Things might look bleak, but your enemies do not get the last word. And your life, my life, is not just meant to be a stale series of groundhog days. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. If this happened for Wesley, it can happen for you and me. You know, our building project here is called Revitalize 250. But a revitalized church and a revitalized city begins with a revitalized you and me. And so you and I, we can say over London, renew our days as of old. We can say over the Church of England, renew our days as of old. We can say over our friends and our family, renew our days as of old. But firstly, we need to say, God, restore me. Renew me, renew my days as of old. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be discouraged. The conditions are absolutely perfect for revival, for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Would you like to stand as the, as the band come up?